0: We want the dynamite from the post-wrestling site, you, lighting up the fuse, sit back and enjoy the bubbly, Which we hear from John and Wayne Tate, where we're going we don't need roads, and if the buck stops here yeah, this thing might blow, everything you hear are opinions of the show, and if you don't like it, go to the Forbes and let them know.
1: Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite, post wrestlings, post Dynamite show. Ta-da! Here we are. Hello,
0: Wei. Uh, What a very nice opening. Ta-da! I like it. Hey, what's up? We're here. We're here, and we're gonna chat. All right. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Where do you want to start? Well, you brought up uh, today earlier, you wanted to mention the um, Brian Danielson interview on uh, the MMA Hour, right? Did you get to hear any of it? I did. I listened to it.
1: So Brian Danielson was on the MMA Hour today with Ariel Hawani chatting about uh, many different topics, but I thought maybe the most interesting stuff that came up was when the all the cuts were brought up by Ariel and Brian's response to it. And Brian is, in these situations, I mean, he, to me, is somebody that, he is going to give you his his clear opinion uh, and it's very interesting that you know he brings up the fact that my father-in-law is the one making all of these calls like he has to be the guy to uh, give the notice to all of these performers and call them and danielson's big thing is that you know he can understand when there is an issue with the talent that has to go but this is a This is a contract that both parties enter and one party can sign you to a deal for X amount of years without any obligation to fulfill their end of the agreement. That being the term that they can give you 90 days notice to tell you we are no longer going to be employing you after this 90 day period. However, on the other side of the coin, when talent wants out of a deal, that is not the case where you can give your company 90 days notice to get out of it. And it's, it's a fair point, And one that I think I brought up in the past and it all goes back to what I feel is going to be a major aspect of this generation. And maybe what Danielson had stated as well is that he had just always believed this is how wrestling is. Like, this is just what I've grown up in this industry, understanding the, the power dynamic but now seeing the way AEW conducts things that, you know, they have let three people go during the pandemic and and have way less money than WWE. And he understands the business side of it. But he is now seeing like an alternative approach to how big business is run uh, in, in the professional wrestling space. But it, it just goes back to me that, yes, there is a great inequality when it comes to power and leverage. And performers, it's ultimately, you know, you need some kind of representation because this is going to be the power structure
0: in, in this industry. Certainly, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's all pretty moot un- unless you have that point of leverage. And the point of leverage is AEW. The point of leverage is, is competition. You know, we wouldn't get Brian Danielson being able to even speak up like this, I don't think. If uh, not for him being employed currently by another company, um, they are very, I think, honest thoughts that uh, anybody would have um, looking at the situation, not being used to the structure of this sort of, um, you know, pro wrestling monopoly that I think we've been used to. So uh, it was refreshing to hear from somebody who was a top star who just main evented of WrestleMania.
1: And and one who, I mean, he has a great reverence for this company, as he stated. Like, he has family members uh, with this company. And uh, I just think it, it's it's always interesting to kind of see that perspective from somebody that has been, you know, part of this industry now since 1999. And just seeing, like, there are different ways of going about it. And what is what are going to be the lasting effects of these two years where WWE has made more cuts than ever in these two years? It used to be that the the idea of getting that big WWE contract was security, stability uh, of having, that's that's what you want a contract for, is that you can make your, your life choices based around, I have a three-year deal here, I have a five-year deal with this company. And I think one thing that is very clear after all of these cuts is that you can sign a piece of paper, but it's very much at the discretion of the company of whether the length of that deal is fulfilled or not. It's, and this was actually brought up by Ariel, the fact that that is a very similar situation to UFC fighters who might sign, way well, you could sign a eight fight deal with the UFC, but you come in and you lose a fight, they are able to cut you off of one fight. Like just imagine the 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 instability that comes with that. If you are a rising fighter that does not have a great name value attached to you, there's you know in the WWE space, uh, which was also addressed in the interview, is the idea that you sign for a certain amount of money. It's like that almost becomes a target. Like if you're looking at cost cutting or making like certain numbers, and you've got this gigantic number attached to your name it's it almost is like quietly stated like almost like is, is it in your best interest that if you want stability with a company do not take that giant contract that is is offered your way because you become a more easy target when it comes to the next round where we've got to we've got to make this number and you get us to that number a lot quicker than having to send f- four guys uh on their way as opposed to you because of your large salary it's it it's a it's a very difficult industry to navigate for talent, even at the absolute highest end. And I I just look at so many different areas of income and revenue. And and this is just because I'm fresh off listening to this earnings call and Nick Kong going over all of these different ways of which they are cultivating income and creating revenue and Stephanie's like sponsorship initiative and it's so so much of it it's discretionary on part on the part of the company of what is going to trickle down to talent. And it's always been that way from house show payoffs to uh, pay-per-views to DVD sales. Like it is all a discretionary amount that makes its way to the performer that does not have any kind of representation, does not have a seat at the table, does does not negotiate with the company when a large-scale television contract is being negotiated. And that has given such a... Incredible advantage to your UFCs and WWEs, especially during during this pandemic period, but historically as well. And I don't know, I've just it, it's it always comes around. And I'm not one that is ever holding my breath that we are ever going to see some kind of uh, some kind of players association or anything close to that. But I think it's very fair to say that with all of this revenue that is created, um, the, the talent, whatever they're making deserve more.
0: Yeah, my, my very likely. Yep. Um, it's unfortunately, I I think just the way, um, and it applies to AEW too. It's
1: like uh, you know when they sign their next big television contract, it's not like there is a um, a talent pool that is owed any of that revenue that that comes in either. I mean, it, it goes
0: like this is this is industry wide. Yeah, you're really just. sounds like a critique on the structure of capitalism um and i i assume it's a bigger issue than maybe even what the scope of pro wrestling can cover um right now so i don't know how it necessarily gets fixed um especially because i i don't see any incentive for you know any anybody at the top of these companies to form a union or anything like that so I, I don't know how much of this conversation is is necessary you know what I will say is Brian pointed out in the interview that uh, exactly I think the thought process of you know uh, what we we are all assuming is, and it's the WWE going through the practice of hoarding a lot of the talent when aew was starting up trying to prevent a lot of people from jumping over to the other company and now that they see that AEW has a full roster um, and they can't possibly take anybody, so they're going to cut a lot more people, many of those contracts that people have already signed for higher inflated amounts. Um, and this sort of hoarding, this sort of playing with people's livelihoods and uh, dangling you know these massive amounts of money uh, in front of them, in front of their families, only to take it away now that it's convenient for them, I don't think it should go unpunished you know certainly in terms of pr uh this company has taken a great hit anytime one of these roster cuts gets announced it's just more and more people i think um turning off um of, of this product and going over to a competition um and you know it, it it to me i think nothing is free and and they they are paying for it somehow
1: yeah, it's, it's a very interesting interview, and in, in particular, uh, that aspect as well. But, I mean, he also talked a lot about his his origin. It, it was funny, like they brought up uh, in the interview, like him starting to train in 2002 at the at the L.A. Dojo, and then that was very much the backdrop for tonight's match with uh, Rocky Romero and being roommates with Leota Machida uh, that he wrote about in his book uh, – But it was was a very enjoyable interview uh, discussing like his his MMA roots and uh, learning a lot from MMA of how to incorporate different things into his style. He very much strikes you as somebody that is always looking at what is what is believable in a fight that can work in in, like taking outside factors and how do they apply into into my line of work and, and what I can learn from.
0: Yeah, uh, he's somebody who's just incredibly fun to to listen to talk about. Um, I listened to the Bella's podcast interview with him afterwards as well, which was also very interesting. They, very they didn't get into stuff. 90 Day No Competes on, the, on that interview. They did not talk about, no, they did not talk about their father-in-law's, um, uh, I guess, involvement, I suppose, and in, in all that stuff. Uh, there was some talk of um, keeping your sex life alive after marriage which was very fascinating to hear as well. Uh so I encourage him he's just a man of uh that's incredibly open. Uh, I guess through conversation incredibly thoughtful when he speaks. So I I encourage people to check out both of those interviews. Did you make it to Bella Brains? Yeah, I did. You know what I didn't like though? They have a new producer I suppose or a new editor for some of these and they just like they edited the shit out of Bella Brains. Oh. They took out all the all the silences which are usually the fun parts, you know, just to kind of hear like The twins try to scramble for for um, uh, uh, answers to these, you know, uh, grade school level trivia questions, which is always fun. But they just basically cut out all the gaps and just left the answers, which really took a lot of the fun away from it. Unfortunately,
1: I I didn't make it to uh, Bella Brains. That's unfortunate. Um, I know that was a big hit uh, during your listening days of the Bella podcast, which it seems like it's kind of infrequent now. I think
0: they just came back after a hiatus. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, Jorge Masvidal is out of the UFC 269 card next uh, next month, where he was set to take on Leon, Leon Edwards, which was one of the big fights of that pay per view. Uh, ESPN reported he sustained a undisclosed injury, so that's a that's a notable hit to that 269 pay per view that has uh, Dustin Poirier challenging Charles Oliveira and Amanda Nunez fighting Juliana Pena as the two title fights on the card. And I guess now the question way is you know, it's been speculated this could just simply send Leon Edwards into his welterweight title fight that many feel he is owed at this point with his unbeaten streak that he has had uh, going back to 2015. And I mean, it could really just clear the way for Jorge Masvidal to explore whatever he would like to do in MMA or pro wrestling, I guess.
0: You think so? You think, he, you know, despite the injury, he would come in and do something for pro wrestling?
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm only saying that, uh, Jokingly, but uh, I guess we'll see. I, I don't expect to see him at this pay per view on Saturday, but he is out of this fight now. So, depending on how severe the injury is, I guess that will uh, dictate where things go. I could certainly see uh, Edwards now just simply getting moved on to Usman, and I think the fight to make is Masvidal and Colby Covington coming off of uh, Covington's loss this past week. The the former teammates at ATT and now bitter enemies. Okay. Cool. Probably a better direction for both. Uh, we will be chatting about more news on Thursday, and I will be joined by Nate Milton for the post-daily news update. So look out for that on Thursday, and do go and check out Wei Ting and WH Park on MCU Later, a special edition of the show as they review uh, The Eternals, which came out in theaters last week. Wei and WH went off to the movies and shared their thoughts in a, uh, a riveting podcast going through a a To uh, a very uh, divisive Marvel
0: release that is correct yeah that's up at the Pro Wrestling Cafe right now so if you've checked out the film or intend to and just want to know some two other people's opinions about it go and listen to that podcast quick plug for our friends at Up Next I'll be on best match ever on their Patreon tomorrow talking about the Smackdown 6 era of WWE television from 2002 so if you're interested in that go check that out too support those guys
1: how many matches did you watch in
0: preparation for that show? I believe it's 6.
1: Oh, okay. The 6 of the SmackDown 6. Okay. Yes.
0: And we Great. debut our new scale uh 6-star rating scale, which was a hell of a hell of a trouble to convert back to 5. Um anyway, so <laughs> was Brayden watching that was at that age? I don't think so. Oh, uh, he Ooh. might have. I don't know. I don't even know if he was alive at that age. <laughs> Jeez. barely but but he was alive
1: in 2002 yeah okay well lo- look out for that on the up next uh patreon feed waiting chatting the smackdown six a very uh a very fondly remembered era for one waiting when he gets to chat. It's that and the finger poke of doom those were really his his formative periods of pro wrestling yes uh and maybe we will add this one to the list from the indiana farmers coliseum AEW Dynamite. Now this this is a an arena name way that I mean has not been uh taken over but I'm sure the Indiana Farmers uh I'm sure there's some corporate involvement there, but sounds like a much more straightforward name than the KFC Yum Center or the Dunkin' Donuts Center that uh Raw has hosted the, the last two
0: weeks. I mean it's a look at who has the money, right? It's KFC, it's Dunkin' Donuts, it's the Indiana Farmers. The Indiana Farmers,
1: yes, with their own Coliseum and a Red Hawk crowd tonight. Uh, immediate uh, off the bat here. They were just so excited to have pro wrestling. All the Farmers welcoming AEW into their town. And we're starting things off with Brian Danielson against Rocky Romero. Their first singles match since 2008. And Romero comes out with the best friends. And earlier in the day, they had done an angle online where Kazuchika Okada, had sent the word through Romero that all of the best friends have been invited into chaos, and they accepted. Cassidy had no idea what was going on, but he is now a member of chaos.
0: Yeah, so this comes out after, I, I didn't hear this, but Tony Conner was, I guess, again on Busted Radio and, sorry, Busted Open and Radio and mentioned Okada, is that right? And Tony Schiavone mentioned Okada sometime as well? Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, seeing that, seeing this, listening to this match, uh, Okada feels like he's very much an AEW, um, appearance in the future. Uh, I, they did nothing to really kind of, you know, uh, tell you otherwise. It, it felt like this was very much a push for wh- what's to come with Okada.
1: Yeah. I mean, they were certainly dangling Okada's name out there. Um, he, he is here for, well, he can't be at the pay-per-view on Saturday because they've got the San Jose show. But, um, you know, his his time over here, I mean, I think it would make a whole lot of sense that they do something here. And the fact that they were so open about uh, dropping Okada's name here, I think people are naturally going to speculate in that direction. So Excalibur uh, brings up the history of Danielson and Romero going back to the New Japan Dojo in L.A. in 2002. They shake hands to start and Danielson uh, gets distracted with Orange Cassidy on the floor as he's putting his hands in his pockets as Romero lands a tope suicida. Danielson would come back with chops and kicks in the corner and delivers a knee to the body of Romero and continues delivering body shots. Matt Hardy shows up in the front row where he would remain for most of the program trying to get the attention of Orange Cassidy. Uh, Romero would hit a missile drop kick. And there's a belly to back by Danielson from the top. And it's countered by Romero who lands on top. Danielson then slams Romero to break free of an armbar. And Romero was just relentless here going for armbar attempt after armbar attempt and nearly gets the straight armbar when Danielson breaks out and nails him with a head kick, blocks a sliced bread, stomps him down in the face and goes for the label lock, which is blocked. So he transitions and applies a tequila sunrise. Which Danielson should be giving a, a bonus here to Rocky Romero. Because, dude, he tapped so quickly to make this tequila sunrise look like the most devastating submission that Danielson has added to his arsenal. In 10 minutes and 52 seconds, as Excalibur says that Danielson has 1 million ways to beat you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how he goes about choosing the submission that he was going. he's going to use today. Um, yeah, he introduced the Tequila Sunrise here, but I, I don't even know if he'll use it again, you know, because I think next time he'll probably figure out something to do. I, I almost feel like um maybe Brian was looking for a bit more of a balance here for that Tequila Sunrise as he kind of slipped here. But nonetheless, it looked very painful. And I thought the tap out at the end was as quick as it was, was very believable. Good little match here. I felt incredibly satisfied. You know, this was uh, I two people who hadn't wrestled each other for a very long time. And now seeing their current incarnations, um, I I thought they delivered a very good match.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really fun, competitive match. I, I thought Romero looked really, really good in this. And you introduced another submission for, for Danielson. Um, very entertaining opening match, I thought. No complaints.
0: Yeah, and had a special feeling attached to it as well, of course, you know, this being a a New Japan star and the history attached to both men, so it, to me, felt like a mini attraction, you know, not necessarily the type of match that maybe your your casual audience will care about, but for me, it, it certainly felt special.
1: Tony Schiavone introduced the inner circle. They come out, and you see the signs, we came to sing Judas, and they're out on the stage, and before the music, before they can hit the the big part of the song, American Top Team and the Men of the Year jump the inner circle, and this crowd is pissed that this has been taken away. Their one chance, the one time AEW is coming to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, and we don't get to hear Judas. Uh, Junior Dos Santos is quickly becoming my favorite pro wrestler. Uh, this man, he hit Sammy Guevara with a body shot. Then he grabbed a kendo stick and the smile on his face. He is having the time of his life doing pro wrestling. Do you know it was 10 years ago this week that him and Cain Velasquez were getting set to headline that first card on Fox? And now both, 10 years later, getting set for pro wrestling matches in uh, different parts of the world.
0: Incredible. Wow.
1: So they beat the hell out of the inner circle here. Ortiz was beaten down with the kendo stick. The men of the year then lift up Jericho in the ring as Dan Lambert is perched on the turnbuckle and power bombs Jericho through a table. Scorpio Sky says this is just a preview. You'll get the whole thing Saturday. This crowd is chanting asshole. And Ethan Page says they will make sure that Dan Lambert pins Chris Jericho. But tonight, Dan Lambert is going to tap Jericho out. And with that... <laughs> Dan Lambert (laughs) applies the walls of Lambert onto Chris Jericho, and Sky takes Jericho's hand to tap the mat as Lambert screams, it's called a Boston Crab! Championship Wrestling from Florida, 1975. The real Rocky Johnson. Dan Lambert is just in a league of his own. I thought this angle was fantastic to send everyone into the pay-per-view.
0: It was really awesome. You know, it was not just physicality right before going into the match, but like the type of very uh, um memorable physicality that just kind of makes you smile even thinking back on it. Seeing Dan Lambert put Chris Jericho in the walls of Jericho, but calling it a Boston Crab, inciting Rocky Johnson. Um, it just just incredible fitting of the character. Uh, created a big big scene and got this crowd riled up you know attacking the inner circle mid judas really is the best time to do it you got you get more heat doing that than you know coming in and running down any sort of doing any sort of other sneak attack um this thing it, to me like dan lambert being paired with sky and page started off pretty awfully in my opinion but as soon as att got involved as soon as some of those live reactions started to really pick up it's it's been on fire uh, and heading into this pay-per-view it's it feels like it's a major match
1: yeah it's going to be interesting how they space out and differentiate this street fight from the false count anywhere match on saturday mm, right. i mean in, in both like you want to convey like these out of control brawls um that will probably uh, go all over the place uh, but I, I think they've got a, done a good job with this like this is all built around dan lambert on, on saturday and I, I think this was a really Really nice ending, or at least uh, angle, to set things in motion for Saturday. Britt Baker, Rebel, and Jamie Hayter against Ty Conti, Anna Jay, and Thunder Rosa. And they call Ty Conti the toughest test of Baker's title reign. And Baker is avoiding Conti at the beginning. And Baker and Thunder Rosa got involved at the beginning. And the crowd is chanting for both women uh, before Rebel is quickly tagged in. They attack Jay on the floor behind the ref's back. Went through the break where they're beating down on Jay. Eventually, Conti and Hader were tagged in, and Conti's hitting bicycle kicks to all three in separate corners. Hits a tie KO onto Hader, which is broken up by Baker, and then Jamie hits a STO, and Rosa makes the save. And they note that Hader and Thunder Rosa are meeting in the next round of the TBS tournament. Everyone is down, and Thunder Rosa climbs to the top. And just nails Jamie Hayter with this high cross to the floor. And Hayter just takes this high cross. Um, I thought Jamie Hader was uh, tremendous in this match of, of all six. I thought she really stood out in a positive way. There was a, a Didi tie to Rebel uh, as Baker just watches and is not going to come to Rebel's aid. And Conti pins Rebel in 658. And Baker is portrayed as scared by Excalibur while Shivani defends her saying she's being smart.
0: Hmm. i feel like you know it's it it's often the case with aew's um women's matches on these shows Um, you have a lot of varying levels of of experience and as a result i think you're you're going to see p- spots of ugliness in execution and in this case usually it doesn't really bother me that much but in this case i did feel like it kind of got in the way of my overall enjoyment of the match and I think even for me, it seemed to take a bit away uh, a little from the focus of the match, which was supposed to be Ty Conti feeling like, you know, she's getting really hot before that title match. But I, at the same time, I feel like Conti's shown so much ability and so much capability throughout this entire build that under the spotlight of a pay-per-view title match, I, I think she's going to have the match of her life. You know, it's the biggest match of her career. And Brit always comes through, you know, in those high pressure situations.
1: Yeah, I mean they have Thunder Rosa kind of uh off to the side here, but at least uh dangling that here. Um I think Anna J uh works better in some of these like six woman tags where I-, I feel like in the singles matches she's had of late, it's I, I think there's been like just this, this overall tentativeness um that-, that comes with it. Um from there, we went into a preview of Chris Statlander and Ruby Soho in the next round of the TBS tournament. Where respect don't mean shit way.
0: Respect don't mean shit. No. Cool.
1: Very cool. Jungle Boy and Anthony Bowens. Jungle Boy's growing facial hair. The acclaimed make their entrance. Max Caster cut a rap. And then we went into the match where it was Jungle Boy showing a ton more aggression. Uh, lots of strikes in the corner. He landed this big drop kick. Does the kip up. Crowd is chanting his name. And then Bowens took a lot of the second half of this match. They went through picture in picture where Bowens got very heated in front of this fan in the front row, just screaming at her. We come back. Caster has sent Jungle Boy into the rail and Bowens drops him with chops. Jungle Boy fires back, but is hit with a twisting slam and a twisting DDT off the middle rope for a big near fall by Bowens. Jungle Boy fights for the leg, gets it, applies the snare trap. Crowd goes wild. And as he squeezes he gives the middle finger to caster and bowen's taps in 1009
0: good match yeah i'm glad they're giving bowen's continued exposure on tv in these singles matches i think he's delivered in both instances obviously you know against brian danielson and against jungle boy uh he he's allowed for great showcases for both of those guys so um what did you think of the rap john uh it was all right um Made fun of us his stutter. I mean, I don't think Jungle Boy stutters. I've never heard him really stutter while he's cutting a promo. I, I, it does highlight, I suppose, maybe the weakest part of his game, which might be his promos. But he hardly is a stutterer.
1: Maybe he meant the his theme song. It's, it's, it's kind of his stutter. It's more of
0: a yodel than a stutter. But yeah. he also brought up how um he he something about leaving your girlfriend alone with seven guys, which I suppose is our first uh reference to to him dating Anna J of the dark order.
1: Uh at least uh on dynamite, yes. Yeah. So, uh, this was okay for for Anthony Bowens I thought between the Danielson match and this. Uh this one in particular, they they gave him quite a bit in the match and the audience is really behind Jungle Boy as a baby face and you can see like they are trying to add uh, more dimensions to Jungle Boy, which this is a big match for him on on Saturday and the pairing with Adam Cole. Totally. Absolutely. And with that, Jungle Boy is celebrating the win and we get a fish attack. Bobby Fish attacks, hits him with an exploder into the ropes, Cage and Luchasaurus run down and Fish runs off, leading to us getting the line from Jim Ross, There Goes the Fish.
0: There Goes the Fish. Um, Really the best name, honestly. It's a tremendous name.
1: Uh, Hangman Page is reflecting on... Omega and the Bucks winning their titles last year while he stood in the distance and watched. And they showed in slow motion the, the collapse in the ring when Omega lets him fall and face plant. And Page talks about the fans picking him up and there to really illustrate the moment of the audience embracing and taking this man in at his lowest. There is Hangman Page celebrating with scrump in the front row <laughs> as a, as a true sign of the fans that have his back and omega this is all clips from presumably the countdown omega stating i don't lose big matches but pa- hangman always loses big matches
0: was this not the boat or something or was this a um, on land that that scene with scrump i don't know he's been to many shows so i don't know which one it was
1: it could True. have been the boat
0: yeah. This whole this looked really cool. Uh, they they had like a version of uh, Itsy Bitsy Spider playing in the background that sounded super creepy and super serious. So, I'm really looking forward to this countdown. This countdown, they they've done a great job on the the go home shows for the countdown. Like wouldn't I guess like a Wednesday be ideal to to air something like that? But maybe maybe it's not not i mean it's probably not that easy to get airtime it's
1: traditionally been the friday night slot that they've been in i mean the shows do okay too like number wise at that time but i I personally way would be with you i think like wednesday is a bit better but friday is the slot that they get for for these um so after that feature adam cole is with the young bucks and they make sure brandon cutler is rolling because we can't just be randomly on camera for no reason and Adam Cole brings in an old friend of his to show to introduce to the Bucks, Bobby Fish. And the Bucks, oh, we know this guy. We know him very well. And Matt Jackson says, In AEW, there is no dispute. It's the era of the super click and the challenges made where they want Bobby Fish to take on Jungle Boy on Rampage Friday but leave just a little bit for us for full gear. But uh, this this uh threw out a lot out there they were uh, they they were putting a lot of bait on the hook as they were going fishing here away and we'll see if um we we'll, we'll see if this segment
0: is designed to catch a Kyle oh interesting okay hmm
1: this was certainly building up, i mean there was certainly the big uh, hint here with like alluding to the history the uh the young bucks not being as a uh, Over the moon about Bobby
0: Fish as Adam Cole is, but uh, a unique segment nonetheless. So we're led to believe that like the Bucks are aware of Bobby Fish, but only through the Undisputed Era and not through their time facing Red Dragon. I think this was meant to allude to,
1: yeah, Red Dragon and the Bucks. Okay.
0: So they, so they know each other.
1: A very famous feud. So I I think that's where you were supposed, you were, you as the viewer were supposed to think that.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, this is cool. I mean, anybody watching this knows the connection between the two. You just turned Bobby Fish heel, which perfectly aligns him with another heel in, in Adam, Adam Cole. I, I took this list to be maybe a permanent um, allegiance and, and maybe more just something that's very convenient for Adam Cole for the time being, maybe even using Bobby Fish. But uh, yeah, no, the the, the idea of the, of Kyle coming in is, is certainly makes things that much more interesting, but probably won't be for a while, right? I mean, his deal's up in December, reportedly. So. Whoa, that soon? Yes, we're talking a few weeks.
1: There's a uh, a lot What's going Va- on.
0: Maybe Von Wagner can come along. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Uh, a... I got a friend too, guys. <laughs> Everyone's got <laughs> friends out there. His, his name is Von. We know you. <laughs> we know of Von. Von Wagner. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if he's making the jump. Like, sorry, you can't. You can't be Von Wagner if you're like no.
1: No, I can't be Von Wagner. Anyway, um, so there you go. Bobby Fish and Jungle Boy on Friday is the
0: match uh, for the Target Center. They're really like getting their mileage out of Bobby Fish, man. This guy's like been on TV a lot. It, it seems to
1: be the formula for at least that level is to just go all out with somebody. And then you kind of cool it like Daniel Garcia feels like he's kind of, you know, he's he's been phased down Mm, and, you know, it's it's just kind of interweaving them when when they're ready to heat them up. But everyone is kind of given something to like really cling to where it's like, oh, Daniel Garcia. It's like there's there's some stock built there with, with his character. And I think that's what they are at least trying to build their their mid card scene around people like that, that they can bring in, bring out. And it's, it's kind of juggling all these, like, this is a huge roster to juggle. Then we go to the part. Sorry. First, it was the feature with a punk in Kingston, uh, where they secured footage from IWA mid South when they were breaking in. And then Kingston early in his days, Excalibur explaining was carrying bags. And then we saw highlights from the face to face segment. And then there would be more from these two to come.
0: Wouldn't it be great if there was actually footage of him carrying bags? And Punk just like on his Walkman. Yeah, here's a word to all the indie wrestlers out there, okay? Film everything. (laughs) You see a man carrying your bags, film it. Hey, WWE would have
1: had that on B-roll. Like, oh, type it, Eddie Kingston Bags,
0: 2002. (laughs) What color bags do you want? We have them all. Yeah. Yeah, get a close up of like it. Make sure it says CM Punk on the bag. Like <laughs> they they gotta have. Listen, you never know what's gonna be used in your future. Okay, everything. There's a story to be told from. So yeah, they punk throwing money great. on the floor for him. Oh, lovely. Wheeler Yuta versus Wardlow. This was a
1: late add to the show. Yuta is six and one in his last seven matches. Guess what, folks? The uh, the streak was about to end here. Spears is the, not. The, with was, well, The one was the against Moxley, right? Uh, correct. Where he got murdered. Hmm. Uh, Spears is not with Wardlow because he's off training with MJF. Yuta slips on the turnbuckle coming out of the corner. So Wardlow just pummels him from this point forward. It was, it kind of played in where it's like he made a screw up and Wardlow just pounced him and Jim Ross warned everyone of the dangers of wrestling in tennis shoes. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Tennis right. shoes. No, that's uh that's AEW's version of like the, don't try it at home ads.
0: Well, you got to wear Jordans, right? Isn't that the, the shoe of, of the, of the modern era? Yeah. The wrestling shoe
1: Dior's, but not tennis shoes. And Wardlow just killed this dude for, multiple power bombs. And the crowds are just chanting for more. So he gives him a fourth one, and the crowd is all behind Wardlow here. And he does his rising knee strike out of the corner for the win in two nineteen. Uh, this this was like just a really impressive squash for Wardlow, and this crowd just loved him by the end of this. I didn't do it much almost, for Yuta, but uh, Wardlow looked you know dominant here.
0: It almost feels like they gave the exact same Moxley push against the same opponent to. Wardlow here because I thought this was absolutely a a baby face type of you know monster push for a Wardlow who you know obviously has a future program ahead of him with with MJF so um didn't make me dislike Wardlow at all and in fact made the crowd love Wardlow seeing him beat poor Wheeler Uta up like this
1: then Isaiah Cassidy and the Blade attacked the best friends and Hardy who had been uh, in the front row, brings a chair into the ring. Cassidy is filming this on his phone. They're not aware they've got a TV deal. This is on cable. And Hardy uses a chair to wrap it around Cassidy's neck and hit him with a twist of fate, uh, which is going to lead to a lumberjack match on Rampage between Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy.
0: This feels it feels like it's been a feud that's been going on forever. You know, we've already had the hair match, um, and now we're getting... Just a match?
1: A lumberjack match.
0: A lumberjack match, okay. Yeah, I don't know if this is the blow-off or not, but I don't feel that excited about this Matt Hardy-Orange uh, Cassidy thing. Um, I suppose it's it just kind of feels like it's a a, a a time to culminate because we're going through a pay-per-view. You don't think this mm-hmm. is going
1: to fill the Target Center on Friday night?
0: Maybe not. Maybe with lumberjacks.
1: Maybe. <laughs> then we go to the parking lot and Kingston and CM Punk are being separated and we've got we've got Dustin Rhodes and company holding back Punk. Ruby Soho is uh keeping Kingston away with the with the group over there and then my favorite part of this Kingston breaks free and dude sprints. Like the fastest you've seen Eddie Kingston run with all his might uh and they were able to stop him. Uh this this was a nice believable pull apart
0: but his run was just epic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, it was uh, it was quite the uh, quite the backstage pull apart. It it looked big. And, you know, they had such a big talking segment segment on Friday that I don't think they would have been able to talk anyway if they wanted to. So some level of tease physicality, I, I thought was probably all you needed.
1: Yeah. Do you think you, we get anything more from them on Friday
0: or do you think this one it's built? There's not much more to do for it. It might already be built because they, I think they have so much stuff to do. Um, I would air clips, you know, from whatever countdown or at least like yeah. just a preview just to hear these guys talk. Yeah, all.
1: I, I think they've done a phenomenal job in a week uh, building mm-hmm. this
0: up. They would, they should just really like have somebody read the Players Tribune article for the whole half hour. Maybe Punk reads it. Ooh, okay. Hmm.
1: Dante Martin and Leo Rush against Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty. The crowd is singing for Lee Moriarty at the start of this. Uh, Him and Dante had this phenomenal opening sequence. And then Rush, who this was his dynamite debut, Um, him and Seidel are tagged in and Rush gets into Moriarty's face, then slaps Seidel and Lee Moriarty hits him with a shot from behind, leading to a spin kick from Seidel And then Rush took off. He hit a Rana um, uh, coming off of the rope. They go through picture-in-picture where uh, Moriarty and Rush are are in. Rush got uh, spun and dropped onto his chest. And then Leo Rush fought off both Seidel and Moriarty with just the most amazing comeback. His speed is just at another level. And... Won the crowd over. Like, after this sequence, they were on their feet for this dude. He hits a handspring, double elbow to both men. There's a Lope to Seidel, then to Moriarty on the opposite end of the ring. Seidel is able to catch Rush with a leaping Rana. Seidel was very good in this match. All four of them were tremendous. Um, Lee then springs to the top, tossing off Dante. There's a spinning hook kick by Rush that lands on Lee, setting up Dante as he directs traffic for the double springboard moonsault and pins Moriarty in 10 minutes and 14 seconds. I thought these four just killed it. I love this tag match, and I thought this was just outstanding. I like there are, You may technically enjoy Danielson and Romero more, but in terms of what it's going to do for these four, uh, this was my match of the show. I thought it was so spectacular, and it really propels all four of these guys into having that much more of a focus uh in the, in this company and Leo Rush was out of this world
0: completely agreed yeah you know uh, Leo Rush mentioned on social media this week that uh his mother grandmother passed grandmother. away grandmother yeah from a heart attack and how she was looking forward to seeing him wrestle on TV again. And this, you know, essentially it it feels more so like an actual AEW debut for him. And I'm sure he went into this match with a great deal of emotions and a great deal of motivation to have an incredible performance. And he absolutely did. Like he was amazing here and everybody knows how amazing he's always been, but uh, we haven't seen it, I, I suppose, on at least, you know, uh, national AEW TV for, for quite a while, and here he was reminding us just who he is, how much of a full, complete package he is. Not only can he speak, but the man can move like this. He really is just a an incredible, incredible talent that um, for a time we didn't know if we would get again, so... I hope they really go far with him. I hope he takes Dante Martin with him and Lee Moriarty and Matt Seidel, all four of these guys. You look at this match on paper, and I think they more than delivered. Um, They exceeded expectations of of the style of match that they would have. Um, I I, I feel like I'm seeing a a bit less of the whole stock buyback um, stuff uh, that Leo Rush was trying to push here. I don't know about all that stuff. Just give me like great wrestling. And that's, I think all the, all these guys really need. This was a leverage buyout type of performance. From a Leverage really, really buyout. Rush. Yes. yes. We go to Miro.
1: He wasn't in the confessional, but this was still pretty great. He addresses Brian Danielson. He says over and over, this is not personal. He is everything to some, but you are nothing to me. Do you know my God? Do you know if he's blessing or messing with me? Is he willing to trade my bad neck for yours? I need to win this tournament and get this title. Danielson, you should fear me. And he tells Daniel Danielson to say goodbye to your wife so I can say hello to mine.
0: <laughs> I fucking love these. I think they're so great. Like I I I had no I I have no idea where this guy gets any of this stuff it's from. It's like poetry. Yeah. Like, this is the same guy who, for most of his career, didn't speak. And this is also the same guy who came into this company wanting to work some sort of video game gimmick. How does that guy go from that to something, like, with this much depth of... And, and just, it, you know, it just feels so incredibly unique as well. The delivery is great. It looks great. Uh, he he He's just awesome. In this match, these two, I don't even know if they've been in the same room together on TV. I don't think they've had a stare down. I don't think they've had anything. They did uh, they
1: did the face off last week when Miro you're right, won won, yeah. won, the, won the semifinal.
0: Right. But that's not I mean, that's kind of it. You know, as far as like Danielson goes, like he's just been having great matches. And to me, that's the promise here. Um I mean, obviously the winner goes and ha- gets a title shot, but beyond that, I, I just look forward to these two having a great hard hitting match. Mm-hmm. And then Dax Harwood versus Pack. There's a
1: stalemate after the first two minutes. It's an exchange of holds, shoulder blocks, escapes, and they just go nose to nose. And Dax starts punching him. And after the last right hand, he's shaking his hand in pain and just yells, fuck! Harwood is uh, sent to the floor as Pack hits a twisting dive. And during the picture-in-picture, he hits a spine buster on Pack and starts taking over. They fight to the top. Pack stops him. And he proceeds... <laughs> To hit a brain buster off the top. You thought Dax was dead. And Jim Ross <laughs> notes that neither man wearing sneakers. <laughs> it was like the timing of Jim Ross to make this point. About the, the lack of tennis shoes here for these two. Uh, someone was, uh, started bleeding in all of this. There was like blood on both of them. As Aubrey is uh, checking both of them. But this was nuts. Dax selling or just... Uh, I mean... This brainbuster was out of this world. It was just insane. He hits a missile drop kick to Harwood from behind, but then Harwood rolls away from the black arrow attempt. Tully tries to help Dax out of the corner. So pack misses and now Dax hits a brain buster getting a near fall. They continue. Pack is knocked off balance and Dax hits a belly to back off of the top pack with a release. German. Lariat from Dax, and then a slingshot sit-out powerbomb. Pack still kicks out. There is a backslide onto Dax. As he kicks out, it's transition to the Brutalizer, and Dax Harwood taps out due to his injured shoulder. He doesn't want to do further damage because of the tag title match on Saturday, but Pack will not release immediately, so Cash Wheeler jumps him, and th- this was another outstanding match. To get the- these two back-to-back, this was... Uh, as great a one-two punch as you're gonna get, I I thought that some of the wrestling on the show was phenomenal, but these two matches back to back were sensational.
0: Yeah, completely agreed. You know, I I think with Pac, he, we completely understand what what he's uh what, what what he's capable of, and I think we know that about Dax Harwood as well. But because we rarely see him and Cash Wheeler wrestle singles, it's a bit more of an unknown. And a match like this uh, shows you that uh, he is incredible as a singles wrestler and if they chose to do this more often i think all of us would be incredibly happy with it just to think about the various combinations that are possible with with his style and a singles capacity uh he and pack mesh together perfectly incredibly well and the booking was really interesting to me you know like he pack is not the guy going into the pay-per-view um with a match and he instead he is he's the person who wins here um, but it also kind of makes sense because, you know, the tag team wrestler should not necessarily be able to beat a single star.
1: Well, they would do the angle afterwards where the lights go out and Malachi Black and Andrade appear and they join in on the beatdown of PAC when the Lucha brothers come out and Cody comes through the crowd, and Cody immediately goes after Malachi Black, the crowd's going crazy, and they end up clearing the ring and then afterwards, they did add the tag match for Saturday. So it's Malachi Black and uh, and Andrade against Cody and Pac.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I must yeah, understand. they did.
1: They did mention that after the commercial break.
0: That's on the main card. Yes. So nine matches total. Nine matches. Now, and one yes. any any of those on the buy-in? The buy-in is going to be Thunder Rosa
1: and Hikaru Shida against Nyla Rose and Jamie Hader, They announced. Okay, 10 matches. All right, cool. It's going to be a late night on Saturday. That's my prediction. It will be, yeah. Uh, so Rampage, uh, we've just had the two matches, Jungle Boy against Bobby Fish and Orange Cassidy against Matt Hardy in a Lumberjack match, which um, Target Center is a very big building. I, I don't know. It, uh, this lineup, I mean, we'll see. They'll probably add another match to this, um, but it's um, it's kind of just feels like the night before the big show. Okada, are you free?
0: (laughs) It's not Saturday. I mean, how far? I
1: I mean, it's uh, from Minneapolis to San Jose. You could you could make that trip.
0: Uh,
1: So, yeah, they announced the buy in match. They announced the Cody tag match for the pay-per-view. Then we had a feature on MJF and Darby Allen and really just kind of establishing the four pillars as a as a clear concept in AEW uh, identifying MJF, Darby, Jungle Boy and Sammy Guevara, which I mean, you've always had the. The mentions of the four pillars, but this seemed to be the most, um, pardon the pun, concrete uh, focus
0: on them. When are we getting the T-shirt? Doesn't mean anything until there's an actual T-shirt. That's when it's official. That's right. Uh,
1: The Elite and the Dark Order have been banned from the building for the contract signing. So we see uh, a split screen of both both teams uh, leaving the arena. And Tony Schiavone has been tasked with hosting this contract signing. Both Hangman Page and Kenny Omega are brought out. And Page says, there's not much left to say. I'm going to beat your ass at full gear. And he signs the contract as the crowd chants cowboy shit. Omega wavers. He doesn't sign. He says, we were friends. We were family. And says, if it wasn't, all of this was for you. If not for your insecurities and failures, we always picked you up. From your sorrows, we even invited you back into our group because I saw a bit of myself in you. But I was wrong. You're a disappointment. Paige says, Well, Kenny, you too once had a partner that you didn't think you lived up to either. But now, with all you've accomplished, maybe you have surpassed him. And Omega told him a lot of lies but the biggest one you told was last year at Full Gear after winning the Eliminator Tournament when you said that you were proud of me and that I did a good job. You lied because you were afraid of me. You didn't want that loss to light a fire under me to become what I will on Saturday night when I become world champion. And Omega says that he cares about Paige I did it to help you and realize your potential. I don't know if we'll ever be friends again or team again but let's shake hands one final time and go out and and kill it at this pay-per-view. So they shake hands and Kenny with the line good job Hangman. I'm proud of you. And with that the cameraman in the ring nails Hangman Page busting him open and it is the reveal of Don Callis as they all laugh. Page is laying there bloody and callous cuts a big promo about the greatest trick the devil ever ever taught was teaching you he didn't exist. And does this guy look like he's ready to win a title as Kenny Omega, diving into his Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan lead-up to WrestleMania 19, signs the contract in Hangman's blood as the show goes off the air. Yeah, these... Ugh, hangman you testified against me
0: <laughs> yeah exactly this was fantastic absolutely fantastic you know, you know uh, I, th- car-
1: I thought this episode was fantastic
0: i thought like we got
1: some incredible wrestling on this show and a tremendous angle uh to set things off i honestly wait i don't need rampage on friday i thought this was more than i need to be sold on on this pay-per-view friday almost just feels like a uh uh, our programming commitment that that we have like i i think they've they like the kingston punk program has peaked the hangman omega match that that is has peaked and i think those those feel to me like that is the number one number two matches on this show
0: mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed this contract signing i mean at its core what a contract signing is is just a chance to hear some final promos for each participant to you know, cut cut a great promo against the other. And you absolutely had that. Uh this was I think about as serious of a Kenny Omega promo as we've had in AEW. And Hangman Page um just somehow like perfectly encapsulates I think the, the exact type of babyface leader this, this audience demands while still seeming incredibly cool at the same time. Uh he he sounded awesome. I love the kind of little allusions to Kenny's previous partner. Um, that always, you know, does a whole lot. And I suppose with current, um, negotiations, maybe not that far off, uh, with the way things are going right now, right now, but great, uh, closing angle with Callus with the camera as well. Everything worked out really well. This was, uh, you know, enough physicality and enough depth of, of words from, from the participants as we head into the match.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a great show. Uh, I thought they did a really, really strong job building up uh, the pay-per-view for Saturday. So um, and, uh, in particular, I would, you know, I really enjoyed Danielson and Romero. But the final two matches on the show were certainly ones to go out of your way to check out
0: if you missed them. It was a very good go-home show.
1: All righty, this is feedback time. Forum.PostWrestling.com. And Way, do you want to kick things off?
0: Yeah, I've taken off the uh, polls for these. I just don't really see the point in them anymore uh especially on mondays and uh i always find you know the the real barometer of whether or not people have first of all fully watched the show is through the actual comments themselves so we're going to keep it to that and we have quite a few of them on this episode of dynamite we start off with bruce who says hot damn what a fun couple of hours of wrestling television that was some of the best belt to bell we've had on dynamite all year and solid underlining of the story is heading into full gear. Danielson had a perfect partner in Rocky and pack and Dax was an absolute clinic. Twitter lit up tonight at the vaguest hints that we might be seeing O'Reilly and possibly even Okada in and an AEW ring in the near future, but you don't need to fantasize about what might be in order to appreciate what we will be getting on Saturday that's the thing too you know like it feels well, like kyle o'reilly was certainly very vague okada was not vague no not at all no you know like the the thing is uh going into all out it feels like okay like these teases i mean at that point it wasn't so much a tease but like the arrival of a cm punk and then the tease of an adam cole or brian danielson i i don't know if many people you know felt like full gear would be able to live up to that level of anticipation at all but with the with the rate that like you know people keep getting released and contracts lapse lapsing um heading into this one we still have names that that are sort of in the air that we can predict uh or at least anticipate coming into AEW in the future and Kyle O'Reilly being one of them Okada not not as much on a full-time basis but still you know enough to get people excited about for sure
1: and and we have seen that the the episode coming out of the pay-per-view when they when they have done big things is some of their biggest episodes uh in terms of audience johnny writes man what a show it's really hard to say what was the match at the night when all of them were so good after seeing him work with rocky and suzuki i can't wait for that inevitable danielson new japan run all these bits of promos have me excited for count for the countdown it might be their best one yet the only complaint i have is that it's time for matt and orange cassidy to be done feels like all of best friends feuds have overstayed their welcome for full gear do you think we get a new japan star appearing to start a program with any star? Not on the pay-per-view. It's um, literally impossible for any of that talent on the San Jose show to be in Minneapolis at the same time.
0: No, you can't do that. I mean, can can you do a video, perhaps? A video message? Yeah, I suppose you can, sure.
1: Like, you could certainly announce something for Wednesday. Like, that happened, you know, you got, you know, Suzuki physically appearing at All Out, but... You could certainly make a big announcement, and there'd be a ton of buzz if you said, hey, this Wednesday, so-and-so
0: is coming to Dynamite. Actually, I, I, maybe a more interesting question. Can you see any AEW talent showing up at um, the New Japan show? Um, Any members of Chaos showing up? Man, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. All right, we've got a JPK Justin, who says, After the first hour, I was like, that was pleasant. Good wrestling. But good lord, the second hour was my favorite hour AEW has put on. Dante, Leo versus Seidel, and Moriarty was more than an awesome match. It felt like it was establishing a pair of tag teams who will challenge for gold in twenty two, and plant it in 2022 and planted the seeds of a flight of future stars. I love the final segment as well. Just great promo work from Kenny trying to be manipulative, from Hangman calling him out on the BS and invoking Kota Ibushi and then Don Callis' masterful return. Also, I was thrilled that Best Friend's joining Chaos. It's really the first instance of cross-promoting in that way. AEW wrestlers are now recognized teammates of the great Yoshihashi and that Okada guy. Amazing to realize we will likely have Okada and Nabushi and others interacting with Kenny and the Bucks when the pandemic allows. Just a fiery home turn towards full gear. 10 out of 10.
1: Brad, the archivist, the framing of the out-of-place camera guy in the final segment was great. Just enough to notice him throughout the whole contract signing, but they were able to make the quick cut, so you thought it was just an accidental stepping into the
0: frame. Excellent production work. Really looking forward to Full Gear, an 8 out of 10 show. We got an MJ who says, This show gets 10 Wardlow powerbombs out of 10. You asked how did AEW decide to sell their pay-per-views this weekend. This afternoon, and their answer was to put on a wrestling show that featured a show with maybe the best T.B. in-ring performances of the year. There is something to be said about this roster where everybody can go, and the entire mid and undercard are a click away from being main eventers. The main, the mid-card full of main event talent makes for a great promotion. On tonight's edition, which of which AEW star will come seemingly out of nowhere and remind us that they will be a future main event star, Wardlow. It's amazing how they do that time and time and again. I cannot wait for the real Wednesday Night War, the undisputed Wednesday Night War. Yeah.
1: All right, we go to Brian from New Jersey, a fantastic go-home dynamite. Regardless of what the ratings are, AEW's television has an entirely different energy from WWE's, and I love it. Even when building up a heck of a pay-per-view card, we get some fantastic matches with Danielson Romero, Pac versus Dax Harwood, and a tag match with the new white Power Ranger, Leo Rush, that felt like it was from the glory
0: days of the cruiserweight division on Nitro we got a muggin who says this was a strong go home show. I want to bring close attention to the closing segment. The Omega hangman story is nearing the apex and the setup with Callus as the cameraman was well done. The blood on the contract amplifies the intensity on what is sure to be a hell of a world title match. Big ups to the white Ranger gear on Leo rush. That tag match was a lot of fun. Oh man. I've
1: uh, I'm out of the loop on my, my white Ranger historical recall. He should have had a flute, a sword that doubled as a flute.
0: That's Green Ranger. but
1: maybe, Did the White Ranger have Green that? Green Ranger became the White Ranger.
0: Yeah, but I don't think he had a flute anymore. Oh, I maybe can't remember. Did. I can't remember. That was a, that was a very
1: dramatic saga. Uh, Manny from California. Dynamite was full of great matches tonight. The Seidel-Leo-Dante match was, was my match of the night. I'm excited to see Lee Moriarty and Dante continue to grow, and their opening segment was amazing. I always get goosebumps whenever I see Malachi and Andrade together. Forget the pinnacle. Put FTR with Black and Andrade. I'm looking forward to Full Gear this Saturday. And Tony Khan, put the TBS title on Jamie Hayter and the women's title on Serena Deeb. I demand it. Okay, I'm I'm sure he will take
0: that into consideration. We got a Kate who says, The show was so close to perfect, as I think, as close to perfect as I think any wrestling TV show could be. It started slower and then just built throughout the two hours to such an amazing crescendo in the contract signing. It's almost shocking that in this day and age, AEW can get us all invested in a genuine good guy, not a cool badass like Moxley, but an old-fashioned cowboy with insecurities and a heart-worn on his sleeve. Remarkable. And the final one goes to Luke
1: from Quebec. Everyone has talked a lot about the positives, and I agree with it all. However, I was a bit puzzled by tonight's booking. Is now the best time for a Rocky Romero debut, a Wardlow match, or a Bowens match? Slots on Dynamite are limited, and a lot of this go-home show had little to do with the pay-per-view. I would have preferred a longer segment with Punk and Kingston, which feels like one of the hottest matches, yet got very little time tonight. I think the pay-per-view card looks amazing, but once again, I'm sad to notice there's only one single women's match on a stacked card. Pre-show doesn't count. We have tons of examples of great stories not involving title belts for men. Why can't they do the same for women? It's AEW's biggest weakness and has been for a long time. I'm not seeing much effort on their part to change that, which is disappointing. Uh, effort, I would I would certainly say, like, if you want to criticize that, you can. Um, they are focused now on the TBS tournament. So I think you are seeing uh, more time uh, in terms of uh, different uh, programs that are going on. Um I mean that's look look at this pay per view lineup. I mean that is kind of like the way things are are slotted here. I mean they don't have um, four different women's programs going on at once, and that's that's just a reality of the situation. I don't know if if they could have four different women's programs going on at at the same time. I think it's it's still a division that. Um, is still in development i don't think anyone is looking at this as a as a finished product and therefore those those
0: criticisms are are fine to make the star power isn't exactly there i mean one out of nine yeah does look kind of um i guess what is it two out of ten is that it with the pre-show right looks looks pretty pretty abysmal um but they they're saving the TBS matches for TV. It looks like, uh, and I you know when you're simply looking at star power uh, of of this roster, I mean predominantly it is going to be the male talent. You know everybody who is on this pay per view, I don't think you can uh, disagree with their placement on on this show. You know everybody is a star at a certain level in matches of I think um, you know a, a certain level of anticipation. Uh, is there room for another? Um, You know, like, Ruby Soho is really hot, but, like, would I put her in another match against somebody else on this? I mean, not with the TBS title going on, and I don't even... Listen, I, I, there's not much argument, because I suppose if they wanted to devote TV time to build a, building a story for Ruby Soho to get on this show, they could. Um, But I, I think Tony Khan's interests are more so in promoting the the already higher established stars, I suppose on his roster. So hopefully it changes, you know, after the TBS title gets uh, developed and also, you know, more, more female stars get brought into the division. I, I do sense, you know, very much a uh, man. I hate to use the term, but a, a woman's revolution taking place at some point in AEW where a lot of this will get addressed and we'll start to see a bit more of a balance as, you know, um bigger, uh, talent gets established. More more people rise up to to main event level, so it's definitely s- something that continues to be um discussed and, and addressed. And, and you're right to criticize it. I I, I did want to say though, like, you know, the Rocky Romero match, the Anthony Bowens match, and even the Wardlow match. I mean not in Wardlow's case, but at least in Romero and Bowen's case, like those were showcase matches for th- their opponents who are heading into the pay-per-view with matches. It totally. was a showcase match for Brian Danielson. It was a showcase match for jungle boy. The Wardlow match was definitely maybe a bit more perplexing, you know, like the war, the Wheeler you, you to beat down. Was that really the time to do it? But, Maybe it was also there just to kind of set up the Orange Cassidy Matt Hardy deal, perhaps. And who knows? Like, I don't know what exactly they had planned with Wardlow. Like again, we all remember Tony Khan's um draft. Can we can we match the <laughs> the leak with like the actual card? Yeah, forget it. Who cares? But like Wardlow was supposed to have a big match, or at least he was was, you know, considered to be in a big match. And um maybe this is just some sort of make good. Hey, we're not putting you on the show but you get to have a beat down on Wheeler Utah head of on the go home show. I'm not exactly sure, but he is a focused person as well. Um he's somebody that, you know, you're going to use I imagine very much in the near future. So and maybe I he
1: is going to be involved in in the MJF Derby match uh, as well. Like clearly mm-hmm. like I I don't subscribe to the idea that every every last second of your show has to be dedicated to your pay-per-view. You are your 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 storytelling doesn't end on Saturday it's you want to have things that are ongoing that are going to be coming out of this and I would assume like there is going to come that time when they are ready to go to the next level uh with Wardlow uh on top of it and like we talked with Punk and Kingston I yeah they probably could have had a hell of a segment if you came up with it but are we are we building it any further than where we're at at this point, like it's like that comes to all the, the, the timing of once once you peak a feud, you don't want to kind of overshoot it. And it, it becomes where, where we see where it's just angle on top of angle on top of angle where you, you miss your you, you miss your your peak moment.
0: Yeah, you're at the point now where you don't want to tamper with it so much that you you risk actually losing it and exhausting this audience. You, you're you you're at the point where you just want to kind of keep the flame going.
1: All right. On that note, we're going to shut things down and Way and I are going to be back on Friday night, 10 no, 11:15 Eastern. I've still not got used to this start time, but we will be live right after Rampage to go through SmackDown and Rampage. And then yeah. Saturday night, the all the all Elite Wrestling full gear post show. Myself and Way will be live immediately after the pay-per-view for Double Double, Ice Cap and Espresso members of the cafe. We've also got the NWA podcast dropping Saturday morning with Nate, Chris, and Andrew. And the week leads up to Sunday night, WrestleNomics Radio with Brandon and Chris. We'll be dropping to talk another, uh, another big week, probably giving a lot more insight into Raw's third hour and where things stand across the board on the Pro Wrestling
0: Scoreboard. So check out all of that at postwrestling.com. And- Post daily news updates every single day here usually around one o'clock, two o'clock ish dropping in audio form on the post wrestling cafe feed. And then for free also at youtube.com slash post wrestling. So go and subscribe uh, and John uh, join John and Nate tomorrow.
1: The race to 10,000 on YouTube. Subscribe now, like the video and that's it. That's all we have to promote. Goodbye everyone. Have a good night.